It's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two of our podcast with Henry Threadgill on the topic of John Gilmore and another great Chicago tenor man coming to you in part three. And I just want to say, if you don't have any Henry Threadgill music in your collection, this man, um, aside from the fact that he's a Pulitzer Prize winner, which is pretty rare, special recognition. Aside from that, this is me talking. He is completely singular band leader, composer. And hopefully you're hearing this program and you're hearing the way that he thinks about music and talks about music. When you listen to his music, you it's like a whole new all the air in the room has been replaced with something marvelous the light is brighter uh, it's just it's enormously creative and expressive and get some of, of the trio air that he was part of his band make a move uh, henry threadgill sextet he had the society situation dance band uh, very, very circus, Zooid, which is currently his working band, each one completely distinct identities. Um, but clearly, he just continues to, to bloom creatively. It's really been one of the great thrills of my listening life, hearing all this brilliantly original music from Henry Threadgill. I, I love having him on the show. Uh, and if I get one person to discover his music, it'll have all been worth it. So if you have an experience like that, you can you can let me know. If you listen through to the end of the show, I'll tell you the email address. Haha. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's part two. This program from September 25th of 2023. Henry Threadgill. Uh, his book has just been released at the time of this recording. He's talking about some of his foundational experiences in Chicago and the brilliant tenor saxophonists that that city's produced. You're jumping into the middle of the show. We're focusing right now on John Gilmore, and here he is, well, the band leader being introduced, and his name is... I play you. I play you. <laughs> we continue with our show. Here is One by One.
you're saying, what? That's Art Blakey, right? Mm-hmm. What Art Blakey album is that? I have all of Art Blakey's albums, and I don't know that one because it's not what Phil Schapp used to call a record. It's not a record date. <laughs> it was a live hit. Not a record date, but uh, the real thing. The real thing. Uh, night out in New York. I think it was a Friday night. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers at the Half Note down at Spring Street in Hudson, June 11th, 1965. Thank you to the many wheels that turn that allowed us to be listening to this. We're like flies on the wall. And it's, I mean, was there a better season for Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers than <laughs> 1965. I mean, yeah. it's a sweet spot. And uh, this is the lineup you've been listening to. It's up front Gary Bartz and John Gilmore on alto and tenor saxophones. Beautiful John Hicks on piano. Victor Sproles holding it down on the bass. Art Blakey on the drums. We have a little note. This just in from Jet Magazine. Dateline, July 1st, 1965. Jet Magazine says trumpeter Lee Morgan, starring with Art Blakey's band at the half note, was stopped by two thugs on his way to work and lost two teeth defending himself and his trumpet from their onslaught. It's uh, July 1st, 1965. We here at WKCR want those two thugs to know you're still on our list. We're coming for you. There's no places safe. But even in the absence of the magnificent Lee Morgan, we got some banging music on the bandstand that's a great sounded set wasn't it it really was it really just just sounds so easy for those guys doesn't it henry threadgill is my guest his book easily slip into another world brent hayes edwards is on bookshelves now in a store near you and I'm I'm just tell I want to hear through your ears because you were grooving, you were tapping, you were smiling, you were a highing, and what are, what are you hearing in there? Are you hearing something other than what we're all hearing? No, I'm hearing what you're hearing. <laughs> no, but again, it's John Gilmore. The way that he's playing, it's um, it's I don't, you know, it's hard to describe music. In the first place, it is. I'm putting you on the uh, spot, and uh, the way he was navigating, uh, it's just so. Um, the the contrapuntal way that he's navigating is so singular. It's such a singular type of line that he's following, you know. Uh, and it's very revealing. <clears throat> Because he's it's not it's he's constantly revealing himself melodically, in a contrapuntal way, you know, and he's not really playing a lot of he's not really playing chord changes. He's really playing he's play, really playing melodies over this you know, interesting way that he unfolds these melodies you know. The little tidbits of contrapuntal statements that he keeps connecting one into the other, you know? It's, uh, just a whole nother way of negotiating the saxophone. It's negotiating the music again, you know? Tell me, I'm not a musician. You know a lot more about this than I do, so I'm going to take advantage of that and ask you this question. John Gilmore, we're talking about John Gilmore on tenor saxophone, and 
listeners may know him much, much better for playing with Sun Ra, mm-hmm. whose format is wide open to that kind of thinking and playing. And we went out of our way to find music of John Gilmore other than with Sun Ra because mm-hmm. it's, I think, maybe a chance to hear a side of him um, that other than what we know. And the received idea about Art Blakey and that school of hard bop, mm-hmm. that's part of what you do, right? You play the changes and yeah. you bring your thing to that. Yeah. But he's just, it's kind of a very Sun Ra sort of approach of like, yeah, yeah you, you could do that. That's something you could do. He's in the world with them harmonically, but he's not playing, <clears throat> he's not playing those uh, chords as such. He's not manipulating the chords and extensions of the chord and things like that. He's playing a... He's found another way around that, you know. Uh, he's find, and I mean, even as uh, some of these long linear lines that he played again, these these are whole nother different uh, opportunities, musical opportunities that he's brought to fore uh, that you hadn't been hearing, you know, in previous instrumentalists, saxophone players. Of any ilk, you know, I I first heard the things that he was doing. I think when Coltrane came to Chicago and started doing a lot of work with Gilmore and studying him and playing with him, you know, uh, they shared a lot of the same uh, resources. And if, who got there first, I don't know. And but they both found their own. Uh, way of dealing with the resources that they were both dealing with, you know. Whereas, like, you know, uh, there was, I, don't, I wouldn't even know all of the players that was, that was like, went and worked with them. Sonny Rollins, Sonny told me he had went and played with him a number of times at his house, you know, and, um, but you can't hear the, that connection either. I mean, little would you even know the Sun Ra, the Sun Rollins that played with Sun Ra. Most people wouldn't even know that. That is know? very true. Right. Uh, but this is a, um, these are these are people that are deep researchers, musical researchers, you know. They haven't just accepted what was passed down to them. They've gone into mining, you know, like into deep mining uh, to go forward, not just to take what was given to them, you know, but they, they've they gone much further than Gilmore. It's, it's, he's part of that whole ilk, you know. Does it surprise mm-hmm. you that uh, an Art Blakey would find room in his band for somebody with that kind of thinking? Or I don't know. Not really, because, I mean, he could... He's, he sounds so good over there. You know what I'm saying? He does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he sounds so good over there, you know? Does anybody sound... With Mingus. You heard him with Mingus also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same thing, you know? Yeah. Blakey just sounds, I mean, like he's at home, mm-hmm. you know, wearing his favorite socks and yep. know, on the sofa. He's just like yeah. right in it. And, um, well, you have... Um, talking to Henry, Thre- th- talking with Henry Threadgill, whose book "Easily Slip Into Another World." His autobiography is 
still newly available. It is eye-opening, ear-opening, heart-opening experience to read for anybody who's a fan of this music. And I suspect many people who don't know anything about the music probably be, I mean, I was an American history major yeah. in school once upon a time. I would assign this to students just to find out about that. Mm-hmm. Just to find out, maybe we'll take a little moment later in the show, one of the, I mean, really volcanic things in this book is you talking about your firsthand experiences in Vietnam. That's, you know, people would talk about that. Well, you know, you and some of the other musicians, you know, well, you know, he was, you know, he was in Vietnam. You know what went on. So we would say that to you. You'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. Of course. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. We didn't know what they were talking about. We just knew that you'd had that experience and that you guys all hung out together right. and that something had gone down and maybe it was some, like something we saw in a movie or maybe it wasn't. But you talk about it. You really lift the veil. And it's honestly, it's harrowing. You went through some hideous things that a lot of people that went, you went through that with did not come back from mm-hmm. literally or figuratively. It's uh, truly astonishing. Uh, for that alone, I would recommend Easily Slip Into Another World, written by Henry Threadgill and Brent Hayes Edwards. And you guys have some events coming up around this. And, uh, Correct. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? And uh, I hope I have this date right. I do, think that is October the 2nd. October the 2nd. At the Revolutionary Bookstore in Harlem. Uh, Brent and I will be giving a talk on the book. Uh is the time there? 7, 7 p.m. 7 p.m., correct. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You can reserve a seat, too. They've got a yeah. whole thing online. Go to revolutionbooksnyc.org. We're telling you this in 2023. I don't know if you're going to hear this mm-hmm. sometime on the Deep Focus podcast and not know we're talking about October 2, 2023, 7 p.m. And go get yeah, uh, details at revolutionbooksnyc.org. And have you been doing a lot of events? Has there been press around we've done, we've done a considerable amount, you know. And it's, we still have some uh, that we're talking to people about in the future, too, you know, for next year. So they keep kind of coming up, nice spacing, you know, uh, so that it keeps getting some traction, you know, which is good. There's a lot of spacing between these events, you know. It keeps it alive, you know, rather than all at once a bunch yeah. of them. And then you know. where'd everybody go? <laughs> <laughs> Are you, what's been the most surprising response you've gotten from readers? I'm curious. Mm. Uh, some of the things about the history of Chicago and also some things about uh, my experiences in, the, in Vietnam, those kind of things jumped to mind, you know. A lot of people just have no idea about the this why Chicago was what it was known for. Chicago was the center of this country. You know, most people don't know that. You know, all the trains went into Chicago. You to go just about anywhere in the United States, you had to go to Chicago. Yes, and a lot of people would get off. They would be off, so they'd be wandering around waiting for the next train. Sometimes they would just decide to stay. And you gotta remember, this is the beginning of the industrialization period, and so the, the jobs are everywhere. And the uh, 
the stockyards have moved from Kansas to Chicago. Hog so butcher of the world. They, they're, America's being fed from Chicago. So you have to have train lines going everywhere because you've got to feed America. So all of that's going on. You've got the largest population outside of Poland in Chicago, right? You've got the Serbian, the largest Serbian population in Chicago. You know, it's a huge community, Appalachian people there. Indigenous people are there, about a large amount, you know. So it's an extremely interesting place, you know. Mexican. Yeah, everything is going on there, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you were uh, in the heart of it. And does all that also feed into the music? Oh, of course, because I heard all of this different kind of music, you know. That was was on the radio. Radio was was not programmed the way it is now. Uh, neither was t- the early years of TV the same way. There was no canned laughter. They went on and you hit it. And uh, you just didn't know what show. You could you could be watching uh, a play, a Noel Coward play one minute <laughs> and then listen to a polka band the next minute. It was just unscripted. Radio was unscripted and, and television, early years of television for the longest was totally unscripted. There was a lot of music on television. You know. One of the things, another of the, I keep saying, one of the things I love in the book, one of the things I love in the book, another thing I loved in the book, you talking about your experience playing in parade bands and marching bands. Yeah. That was another thing that, you know, people would say, oh, yeah, you know, that comes out of listening to this Henry Threadgill's music. There's all this there's blues in there. There's marching bands and church music and, you know, kind of nod you, huh, okay. But... <laughs> You might not know that that was you had a lot of experience oh, yeah. with that. A lot of experience doing that, yeah. And you said that was uh, that was actually a good gig to have. Yeah, well, it was a way to make a living too, you know. And you had uh, I related to that from high school marching band, the mm-hmm. the plume and the spats <laughs> and the right braids and uh, <laughs> all of that. I remember very <laughs> very with well. The Shriners and all these <laughs> yeah. different groups, veterans of foreign wars. And, and you don't hold anything back about what one does when one is uh, marching past the limits of one's bladder. Right, <laughs> it's, all, it's all in there. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was uh, maybe. Uh, People might be surprised here that musically, something else you say, and I can't remember exactly how you said it. I loved it because it really just struck such a chord with me in so many ways about even the things you do that just are lousy, you know, <laughs> that mm-hmm. still there's something to draw from mm-hmm. there that that's, uh, I guess it fits in with your um, failure concept. Yeah. yeah, the idea of failure and getting things wrong and screwing up. All of these things are extremely important because those things you're going to really review. The reason you messed up, you're going to really review that more than you, more than being successful. There's nothing to review when you're successful. What is there to review? You just go on to the next thing. But when when the failure means a lot to you, when you've been stopped in your tracks, well, you're going to have to take a really hard, hard look at what you've been doing and not just look at it. Now you got to go back and fix it and repair it, you know, 
and get it right. You don't want to be in a loop and have to come back to earth and do it again, do you? <laughs> you know. So you're 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 buying into that uh, <laughs> the eternal return. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We gotta. No, you got to get it right, and nothing is the greater. Uh, nothing motivates you more than when you mess up. I mean, unless you just don't want to go forward, you don't care, you know. But if you care, then now you really got something to work on. And and more than likely you're gonna really you're gonna get it really good right. See if you when you just pass through things and if it's oh that was good and you pass, you got a good grade or we're letting you in here to play. Well, that's all smooth and you don't really there's nothing to reflect on. Uh but and once that happened, once this failure thing happened, you continually uh, use that as a benchmark in your life to keep. You keep thinking that I'm a failure. You see, uh, and I I just discovered later on that a lot of the greatest musicians and composers they thought that way all the time. They were always over and over reviewing what they were doing, over being over critical about what they were doing, never happy about what they were doing. You know. I'm not that extreme, but it's that same type of review process and, like, knowing that, like, uh, I don't want this to be wrong. <laughs> I've been wrong before. <laughs> Henry, I just uh, remembered something you said to me. It must have been 35 years ago. It just came back into my head. And this was uh, – and you talk about um, – you'd go all the way through your life, all the way from – before the beginning, through the current day, and we're talking about, if you're just joining us, easily slip into another world, Henry Threadgill's autobiography. And you talk about that period you were living in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were neighbors there. Right. And I think I was going through a tough time. I was a young person uh, getting going, and you said, you said something to me about, uh, um, maybe I even said something like, you know, money was tight. And you said, you want to make some money? I said, yeah. You said, you want to make some real money? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. You go, and you said, well, you know what you got to do? You got to get rid of that little bit you got <laughs> and make some room for some real money. <laughs> you remember saying that? Right. <laughs> and... You know, I didn't really know if you were kind of messing with me or just because <laughs> it sounded kind of clever, which it did. But there is a real truth in that, too. Yeah. There was a real, if you were holding on so tightly yeah. and not being open to what could come. Yeah, exactly. It took me 20 years to realize what you <laughs> meant when you said that. That was, was very uh, was profound mm-hmm. in a very offhand kind of way. I appreciate that. <laughs> The book is called Easily Slip Into Another World, Henry Threadgill and Brent Hayes Edwards, and they will be at Revolution Books in Harlem on a week from tonight, uh, Monday, October 2nd. Right. And you can reserve a spot in the room if you go to revolutionbooksnyc.org. Right. Go check that out. And uh, so we've been listening to Art Blake and the Jazz Messengers at the Half Note here in New York City. It was a wasn't a tourist spot. It was kind of like uh, where the cats would hang out. Right. Thankfully, they had this terrific radio series hosted by Alan Grant. 
And Art Blakey's on the bandstand with our man of the hour, John Gilmore, we've been talking about. He's up front with Gary Bartz, tenor, alto saxophone. I love the way they work around each other. Yeah, he and Gary. They sound like just spontaneous or maybe little Mm -hmm. head arrangements on the melodies. Yeah, they blend so well, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. like time and Mm -hmm. everything. Uh, Check out this rhythm section along with Art Blakey on the drums, John Hicks piano, Victor Sproles on the bass, and Lee Morgan absent with an injury from a street encounter, apparently. And um, we got one piece left, just the theme. So why don't we blast through that, and then we'll talk about the other artists that you selected for us tonight. But you have a, a Gary Peacock, too. Oh, yes, we do. We could go. You're Why gonna... don't you go, go there rather than to the I theme? I love it. I uh, love it. This would, this is Gary Peacock with Paul Motion and Paul Blay. Henry, yeah. the answer to every question is yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, man. All right. So, uh, But first, back to the half note with Art Blakey, and we call your attention to John Gilmore and the tenor saxophone. It's Deep Focus. Mm-hmm. I'm Mitch Goldman here with Henry Threadgill on WKCR. Art Blakey, John Matthews, the tune one by one. And by the way, Art will be appearing here for another week. So you have time to come by and listen to this great group of musicians with Vic Sproles, John Hicks, Gary Bartz, John Gilmore, and of course Art. Lee Morgan will be back with him. He just hasn't been feeling well tonight. I think we got the theme going here, right? Here's the theme.
Bob Flakey with the theme. And you've been digging the beautiful sounds of jazz here with Portraits and Jazz, direct from the Half Note Club. All right, we'll be back with us next Friday night for our live stereo remote broadcast. And part of the cost of this stereo remote broadcast is defrayed by the Half Note Club. Remote engineering by Tony Luisi, Bob Deitch, and Ron Sims. This is Alan Grant. I'll be back with you tomorrow night with our sounds of the big bands at 10. So until then, stay beautiful, huh? Stereo sound of ABC in New York, WABC. Well, yes. Thank you, Alan Grant. But uh, we'll do our own station IDs. Thank you. But that was a obviously a live recording. And that was uh, Alan Grant was host of that series. And we're very thankful to have that music to play for you. But this is still WKCR. The show is called Deep Focus. I'm still your host, Mitch Goldman. And my guest is Henry Threadgill. I have been, uh, hope I... I've said it once or twice already, but I'm going to say it again. I got so much information from your book, but so much just joy in reading it. The book is called Easily Slip Into Another World, and a hearty recommendation from this program at least. And if this uh, intrigues you, you're going to want to be at Revolution Books here in New York City in Harlem a week from tonight, October 2nd, 7 p.m. And um, so, yeah, we there is not a huge amount, as far as I know, as far as I was able to find, of live unreleased recordings of John Gilmore. But there are a relatively, I mean, he played, if we didn't say this, I'll say it now, he played with Sun Ra for many years, yeah. came out of Chicago. He was, um, seemed like he started down the road that a lot of other musicians were taking at that time of recording and leading his own groups. And at a certain point, he gave the rest of his touring recording life over to playing Sunrise music. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was we're very glad that he did. But he also maybe turned his back on other things that might have happened. I don't know. I guess that's what we do in this world. Yep. <laughs> it's... Um, but he, he he made a handful of records, very few under his own name, but also as a sideman through the years. And we pulled out a couple of those to play from tonight that uh, seemed to have caught your attention. Mm-hmm. And maybe you want to talk a little bit about that, what we've got here? I don't know these two recordings. Ah, well, all right. We're Paul gonna... Blay and the uh, Chick Corea. With Pete LaRocca. Pete LaRocca. Yeah. Actually, Pete LaRocca's record. All. All the compositions of Pete LaRocca's writing, too, which is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting character who seemed to me to be on and off the scene for a number of years. He came Mm -hmm. to, a lot of people associate him with the trio records with Sonny Rollins. That's right. And something we haven't mentioned, the name Sonny Rollins has come up in the show. But since we're talking about Mm -hmm. the book, Easily Slip Into Another World, available at Better Bookstores Near You... I will say that in that book, you talk about 
your personal experience with Sonny Rollins' music mm-hmm. and the shaping influence it had on you as a young player. Is that... Uh, Accurate. <laughs> anything you... I mean, he, he seems to have captivated your mind and imagination. Yeah. You know, but it's, especially when I first started out, you know, <clears throat> and was looking... <clears throat> And I was playing a tenor too, you know. And and it had a name written on the side of it, and it was yeah. Henry Threadgill, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, he was like really such a uh, giant. Uh, he couldn't help but capture your imagination, you know. I'm sure that's the way he felt with Charlie Parker. Yeah, you know, the same kind of thing, you know. So, uh, were there particular recordings that? Everything that he did, yeah. <laughs> everything he did, I had, I was listening to it. Or if I didn't have it, I heard it. You know, um, yeah, it was, but it it wasn't so much. I mean, in the beginning, you know, like you, you're influenced by people, and you try to, you kind of do things the way they would do it. Try to, you know, but I knew. I said, I'm not going to be able to play like this. I said, this guy's a whole nother kind of equation, you know, I say. But I used him as a type of prototype as to what I, you know, I played off of that. I say I stopped trying to play that and played off of it, you know, because I say I can't do that, you know. And I said, then I said, that's not me anyway. Right. You know. How old do you think you were when you, that dawned on you? Oh, but I, I was... I was, I mean, from the time I was, I was playing like Sonny like that when I was 16, 17, 18, you know, up to like, by the time I switched over to the alto, then I started making my way around that a little bit. But it still stay. you know, these traces stay with you for a long time. It's hard to get, it's hard to get things out of your system. It's easy to put them in. It's just like coming to New York, they don't charge you to come in, but when you're ready to go out, <laughs> you have to pay. <laughs> you know. Did now, Sonny Rollins, if you, I'm trying to imagine at that time and what the perception of him might have been. I mean, he, aside from being a terrifying force on the instrument, um, there's also that thing that comes along with that, that this man is searching for something yeah. Beyond. Mm-hmm. Was that part of what? Yeah, well, he and, uh, that was one thing I found in, he and Coltrane both were searching in two different directions, totally two different directions, you know. Um, Sonny, uh, his exploration of the American songbook and things like that was phenomenal, you know. Uh and you know that return from the, you know the with uh, the bridge that recording, you know that marked the whole nother uh, episode, you know, because along comes Don Cherry and people like that. After that, you know, he's he's still opening up for things, you know. Uh, I mean, and even I mean, just in terms of exploring uh, philosophy, religion, et cetera. You know, he had studied yoga in India for a long time. He had been a Rastacrucian, you know. He was looking for all these avenues. I mean, Train was looking for these avenues also, you know. 
because music is not a singular thing, you know. You, you develop an aesthetic that's based on your ideas of uh, philosophy and spirituality, you know. For for the music, I think the music to uh, to hold up significantly, you know. How, how do you bring that into music? How do you bring those choices into the, what you do? It's uh, it's all part of your total makeup. You know what I'm saying? You you a person that has no uh, self respect. I wouldn't want that person building my house. Mm-hmm. Somebody that would put up a wall and not really check it properly, or do masonry work, you know what I'm saying? It's care. You can discover certain things about people's character through the things that are that we make and create. You know, this is not like peace work. You know, uh, you take responsibility for a house that could come down on somebody because it wasn't built properly. You know, this is like the, this is like my favorite story of the three little pigs. Right, See, you know, is that uh, is yeah. the one we all know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, you know the house of yeah. They yeah. had to get it right, didn't they? You yeah, know, the, absolutely. The, the wolf blew, kept blowing the house down. See, <laughs> right. You know, those people that built that house were they were off track. You know, so this is uh, art is not something that is something that you make a part. From yourself and who you are, everything about you is involved in it. You can't pick it out. It's not like it's something you can dissect, but it is there, you know, because there's principles and concepts and higher mathematics involved, you know. Sure. Well. We do have, speaking of higher mathematics, we do have these two recordings. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to call on you to tell me. And I'll tell you what they are. So these are two uh, LPs, as they were first conceived, that a um, little bit of overlap, coincidentally, mm-hmm. if you choose to look at it that way. Um, I don't have recording dates. They were both recorded in the mid-60s. Hmm. We have Pete LaRocca, Turkish Women at the Bath. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, and both these quartets, and both heavily featured John Gilmore. This is uh, with Chicory on piano and Walter Booker on bass. And we also have Paul Blaise turns. Very interesting in a very different way. His trio with Paul Motion on drums mm-hmm. and Gary Peacock on the bass. And Gilmore featured on tenor with that trio. Mm-hmm. Both great. Both compelling. Yep. And now you must decide. Okay. <laughs> which one? I don't know which one came first. I wish I, I knew which recording uh, That would came. be good to know. That would be good to know. I want to say, I want to say the Paul Blake I came would first. too. I so think let's, I, let's go with that. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Yeah. The album's called Turns. Mm-hmm. And the first piece is Around Again. It's deep focus. 
And I'm, I'm going to give you a little station ID again because it's time. We do that at the top of every hour. We mm-hmm. are WKCRFM New York, WKCRHD, WKCR.org, worldwide on the web, 89.9 FM here in New York City. And this program is called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And Deep Focus, there's a free podcast. There are hundreds of episodes, including with my guest tonight, Henry Threadgill. We did a powerhouse show on Thelonious Monk. That was mm-hmm. revealing to me. I, mm-hmm. I loved that. And it's right up there with this one tonight. And there are just dozens and dozens of other shows. If you're enjoying the show tonight, come check out Deep Focus. If you uh, subscribe, it's free. You'll be notified when new episodes come up. This one should go up in about a week's time. And uh, you could find it on your favorite podcasting app. Or you could come to the hosting site. is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And I'm going to give you one more URL. If you're really interested in this and you want to dig a little deeper... Uh, my personal website is mitchgoldman.com, and you go there, you could pull down the About Deep Focus tab, and you'll see a little Google search bar, and you can put in Henry Threadgill's name, or Billy Cobham, or Vernon Reed, or Carlos Santana, or Sonny Rollins, or Eric Person, or any of the other people who've either been hosts or subjects, and those episodes will come up. You can listen Anytime you like. Mm-hmm. That's for you. Okay. So uh, we're going to go to this album, wow. Turns, by Paul Blay. And his working trio at the time, Paul Motion on drums, Gary Peacock on the bass, joined by John Gilmore, tenor saxophone. John Gilmore, great tenor from Chicago that Henry Threadgill's drawing our attention to. And this is Around Again on WKCR. I just got to get this to come along with us. <laughs> we had some issues earlier with the CD, so we're going to another source right now. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. 
There's one you don't hear every day. <laughs> Maybe you should. It's music from Paul Blay, album Turns from the mid-60s, and his working trio, Gary Peacock on the bass, Paul Motion on the drums, and a special guest to whom our attention is drawn by my guest, Henry Threadgill, and that is John Gilmore. And we're hearing some a whole new language here compared to what was happening with Art Blakey, or I don't, sounds yeah. recognizably John Gilmore, but very fresh too, and and immediate to the situation. You're right. And well, one reason, you know, see Paul Blake, uh, the the this is no longer the uh, the American songbook form. You know, so this puts Gilmore in a much more creative man feel. <laughs> yeah, you know? uh, it's we're not we're not hearing these traditions. I love hearing Henry Threadgill get inside the minds of other musicians. His thinking musically is so distinctive, and hearing him talk about people he admired—that's a treat. One of the things I'm. Love it about this show. I hope you're enjoying it, too. It's Deep Focus. This one recorded September 25th, 2023. Part two of three. Henry Threadgill on the topic of John Gilmore. Coming up in the next hour, we turn our attention to Von Freeman, another completely singular character from Henry's, the Chicago of his youth. And I told you I would give you the email address. You hung in there. Hopefully not just for that. But maybe you skip to the end. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, send me send me an email. Absolutely. Deepfocusnow at gmail.com. Deepfocusnow at gmail.com. And, and tell me something about the experience you have listening to the show. You don't have to. Not begging for uh, compliments. I just want to hear what what you do. When you listen, where you listen, how you listen. You can engage with this show all kinds of ways. I hope you've subscribed 
because um, programs pop up somewhat idiosyncratically. Uh, we usually record every other Monday in the studios at WKCR. We're on 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. It's 89.9 FM. If you're in the New York area, it's a fantastic, utterly distinctive programming format New York City station, and um, I hope you get a chance to listen to us live. You can also catch the show, you can listen to Deep Focus even, live as it's being created Mondays, 6 to 9 New York time at wkcr.org, anywhere in the world. But um, yeah, if you're, I mean, certainly it's easier the mode these days, you know, listen when you want, listen to the podcast subscribe uh we're on apple podcasts google podcasts um i like uh what's the one i use i think podcast republic but uh, there's a zillion of them you know and we should be on most of them all of them no commercials ever um and you can always go to the hosting site which is mitchgoldman.podbean.com and i'm going to tell you also how you can dig a little deeper in this show if you like go to my website which is mitchgoldman.com and go to about deep focus there's a little blurb from me about the show but you'll also um, find a google search bar and you can look up anybody who's ever been on the show and there's literally hundreds of episodes they're all um they're all posted and they're not so easy to access from depending on the the you know source you're looking at them on but you can you can dive really deep if you want and it's there are some really interesting arcs that uh emerge and i don't choose who we're going to talk about it's always the guest that chooses so but you know there's a community or multiple communities of musicians and a lot of shared ideas it's uh I'm inviting you to be part of it. You can also find us. I try to post stuff on Instagram, upcoming shows. And I always always do a lot of research. I write little blurbs. I try to find photos that are not so common. Uh, and um, on Instagram, we are deep focus podcast, deep underscore focus underscore podcast on Instagram. So, yeah, come on. Come take the ride. All right. And tell me about it. Catch you over at part three, September 25th, 2023. Henry Threadgill on John Gilmore and coming up, Von Freeman.